Will you go with me together to the scripture, to the book of Luke, as we continue hearing God speak to us this morning? We're going to be in chapter 2, and we're going to hear a very familiar story. You're welcome to turn there in your Bibles. You've got the Bible app on your phone. Let's let's go there together now. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Ready? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. I loved hearing the kids say the the Roman Empire. That was so cute. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem in the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to him to be, to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, and it was a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the word of God for the people of God, and together we say, Thanks be to God. Advent has been a strange and wonderful time. These past few weeks, we've talked about the end of days, and we've talked about the plight of the Israelites, and we've talked about that God comforts God's people and does not forget his promises. We heard the song of Mary and recognized that it was a rallying cry and not just a quaint song of a dainty handmaid. As we conclude our Advent season this morning, though, and beginning tomorrow, we begin the Christmas season. There's a 12 days of Christmas called Christmas Tide. We celebrate for 12 days. That's where it comes from. And, and I would like for us to hear the story of Jesus's birth that we just read. And instead of just, you know, reading it and thinking about it in its kind of the normal expository way that I preach, if you've never heard me preach before, normally what I like to do is I'll take the text, I'll start with the first line, I'll basically go from the beginning of the story to the end of the story. But instead of doing that with the sermon today, I would just kind of like for us to think about some fundamental things about Christmas, kind of this, the philosophical, theological like reason for this story. I told you last week, the lectionary calendar usually uses the Magnificat, the Mary song on this week, Advent 4, but we did it a week early because we wanted to sit with Christmas in a different way this morning because we're going to sit with it again tonight. If you're with us at 530, we're going to hear that story again, but it's, it's got that great remembrance. It's got those really warm feelings. Today, though, I just wanted to do a little something different this morning and think about the Christmas story from a new perspective. And I want us to think through the nature of this text and ask some very important questions. The main question is, why? Why Jesus? Why does this story have to happen? Why does God become human? And why is it in the form of a baby? What is the whole point of this Christmas thing? So that is where we're going this morning on this fourth Sunday of Advent. Why Jesus? Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. 
Oh, Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. I have a question for you, and I hope the answer is no. But have any of you ever stolen from the church? Because I have, kind of, when I was a kid. I, um, and I didn't, at the time, I didn't really fully realize what I was doing was wrong, um, but I should have. My parents are sitting there thinking, we haven't heard this story before. What is he about to admit to? But um, I grew up going to First Methodist Church in Dothan, Alabama. And when I was a kid, as a, whenever I was a child and a teenager, I was going to be at one of four places. You could always find me at one of four places. I was either going to be at the pool, I was going to be at the soccer field, I was going to be at the play, this place called the, um, the playground. Now it's a fun zone. Have you ever you know, taken your kids to the fun zone? They have the skate ring, they have the laser tag, they have like the ball pit with the obstacle courses, they have the arcade. And I lived at the playground, y'all. I was such a good inline skater. You might not know that about me. I would go to the playground in my middle school days and I would have like that short sleeve button up, unbuttoned with my white t-shirt and be flapping in the wind to show everybody how fast I am on my inline blades. Like that was me, just giving you a little middle school picture of what it looked like for me growing up. But if I wasn't at one of those places, I was at the church. I spent a lot of time in the church. I loved the church. I lived at the church, basically. I mean, like, it was a home away from home. I, if you want to know anything about First Methodist in Dothan, Alabama, I can tell you. I know every nook and cranny. I know how to get to the bell tower where you're not supposed to go. I know the best hiding places for hide and seek. I know where the key is to the kitchen pantry if you ever have need of a snack. If you're driving through Dothan, and you're like, oh, I forgot my wallet. Give me a call. I'll get you into the pantry at First Methodist Church in Dothan, Alabama, okay? So I, I basically lived at this church. And when we were about 10 or 11, my friends and I, we were playing and running around the church. And I discovered where the lost and found is. The lost and found is in a box underneath a desk in the library of the church. It's a very small library. But we went there and we, well, we were playing around. We found this box full of stuff. We felt like pirates who just found like the buried treasure. There's all sorts of stuff in this lost and found. There are umbrellas. There's people who have lost their wallets, their watches. I mean, just all sorts of things in the lost and found. I'm like, man, look at this, man. We just hit the jackpot. The Lord's providing. But uh, I'm just <laughs> I don't think that's how the Lord provides. But um, in there was this really cool flashlight. And I was like, oh, man, that's a cool flashlight. But we left, you know, we didn't, we didn't bother anything, lost and found, we just, we knew where it was in case we ever needed it. And um, my friends left, but I went back, and I got that flashlight, and I didn't realize how, you know, this is bad, you shouldn't do this. Kids, don't steal from lost and founds at churches. Because whenever, that weekend, we were over at my friend's house, and so it was me and A.D., Harris, and David, those are my three friends that were with me that day, we were together that weekend, and we were playing in the backyard, and I pull out this new flashlight I found, well, stolen and um, Harris looks at me and he says, didn't you, wait, wasn't that the flashlight in the lost and found? And I was like, uh, yeah. And he was like, he, he lost, he's like, you can't steal from the church. You just stole from God. That's like the word, and AD, he, was, he joined in. He's like, yeah, you, you, you can't, that's like the worst place possible to steal from. from. You're gonna go to hell. I mean, you're, you're I mean, you better watch out. And David, you know, all of them like coming at me, they're saying, David's like, hey, I don't want to stand near you. Lightning's about to strike. God's about to do something bad to you because you stole from the church. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to hell. I just lost, you know, I'm, the Lord hates me. I'm gonna, I just stole from the church. And I'm like, I'm fearful. Every loud noise I hear for the next couple of days, I'm like, what happened? I'm like, I'm like on the lookout feeling like lightning's about to come down. I have this just inner fear. So I went and I put the flashlight back. You know, I was convicted. I didn't tell anybody, but I put it back. But, and to this day, I have not yet been um, experienced any type of punishment for that crime, 
I have not um, felt the recompense come to me from on high for stealing of the flashlight, but I sure believed it was going to happen, and so did my friends. And isn't it funny that even at such a young age, there's this kind of universal understanding of how the world works, isn't it? We in, Innate in our being is how God operates and, and how things in the world take place. If you do something wrong, you'll be punished. If you do something good, you'll be rewarded. This idea of punishment is one of the most like, fundamental pieces of our human understanding of reality. If you make good grades, good things will happen. If you make bad grades, bad things will happen. If you break the law, something bad will happen. If you don't break the law, something good will happen, or at least something bad won't happen. We, this is kind of how we understand justice and, and the way in which the world works, this idea of reward and punishment. And it's pretty much this idea, this quintessential understanding of the, how the Israelites understood God. This is the lens through which they saw Yahweh. The authors of the Old Testament thought the same principle was true for all the ways in which they interacted with God, this idea of reward and punishment. Truly, this theory of like divine justice is the basis for the Old Testament. The people obeyed God and God would provide. The people disobeyed God and God would punish. God delivers the people from Egypt, but then they have the golden calf, and so God tells them they're gonna wander in the desert for 40 years. Good things and then bad things. Um, or the people of the Israelites, they, they become a nation of power. They become a powerful nation, a conqueror, and they have this time of, of reigning. But then because they started worshiping other gods like Baal, Yahweh punishes them and makes the exile happen. A lot of what we talked about in the Old Testament from the prophets comes from this period of the exile. And the Israelites literally believed it was because that they sinned against God, so God sent these other nations to conquer them. So the Neo-Assyrians conquered Israel, and the Babylonians conquered Israel because of Israel's sin. And, and that's how they understood. There's action and reaction. There's consequences. If, if you do good, then God will do good things for you. If you do bad, then God will do bad things for you. If you understand this concept, the writings of the Old Testament make a lot more sense. You understand kind of where they're coming from. But you know what doesn't make sense to me? is why as Christians we still operate with the same presupposition about God's activity. Why are we still constantly living in fear of God like sitting somewhere up above us with like his judgment stick ready to hit us for every time we step out of line? Every time we, we, we have this irrational fear that, that every time that we step out and do something we're not supposed to, that God is then gonna smite us are then gonna do something bad to us. And even as a kid, like, I just believed that, right? That was kind of basic. It's in our human nature. It's part of who we are. That's kind of how we understand life working, and so God must operate in that way. A lot of us still live in that lens of life. We've done bad, so God will do something bad to us. And it kind of breaks my heart that we still live in there because that creates a lot of anxiety. It creates resentment towards God. It creates fear of God, and not like the reverent fear, but like kind of irrational Fear And to be honest, when we view God this way, it's almost as if we believe that Christmas never even happened, or that the Christmas story is irrelevant. Friends, the Christmas story is not just a fun annual party where we get together to celebrate that a baby came and got born in a barn. Did you hear what the angels told the shepherd? The angel told the shepherd, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. Like, for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born, 
Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Friends, Christmas is a story of good news. And oftentimes we forget it because we live in like this bad news lifestyle, this lens where like everything is bad. We do something, badness is about to happen all over the place. All the things that are happening is because we've done bad things. But Christmas is a story of good news to where God realized humanity did not have a chance of figuring things out on our own. God had given the law. God dwelled in the tabernacle and then in the temple. God spoke through the prophets, but still the people did not have right relationship with God. They did not fully understand God. So one day God decided to do something new something brand new, something that he had not done before, something that the people had not seen. Christ came into the world. God made flesh. Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. This had not happened before. And the God sent Jesus not only to die, but to teach us how to live. If you hear me not say nothing else this morning, remember this. This is something that I don't think we remember enough. The good news of Christmas is not only that Christ came into the world to die for our sins. That did happen. We, we know that's part of our, our Christian beliefs, that, that Christ did die and we are forgiven. But Christ also came to teach us how to live and how to have life abundantly. As Christians, we, we, we tw- tend to dwell on that the death part, which is very important, we love the resurrection and is a major part of what makes us Christians. But we forget, like, Christ is here and operated and gave ministry, and that should inform us how to live our lives, and that too is good news. One of my favorite parts of the Gospels, one of my favorite things that happens throughout the Gospels is every time Jesus says this phrase, you've heard it said blank, but I tell you blank, right? This is particularly prevalent in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them also, the other cheek also. And Jesus says again, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. This phrase, you've heard it said, but I tell you, is Jesus talking about the established order, the rules, the law, the way in which the people understand what, the way that they thought they interacted with God. This is the, if we do it this way, then God, but Jesus says, whoa, whoa, whoa. We've missed the mark a little bit. When Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I tell you, Jesus is kind of teaching us that we're not in right relationship with God when we read it so legalistically, and we don't see the heart of what it is. We don't understand that God is at work in new ways. We don't understand that there's more to it than just every single T being crossed and I being dotted, but there's a heart matter, a life matter. Jesus came not only to die, but to teach us how to live. And by teaching us how to live, he taught us what it means to be in right relationship with God. And from that, from the work and the life of Christ, this is the good news, more of the good news. Jesus shows us that God is not just out to punish us for every misstep. Jesus shows us that God instead offers us grace and forgiveness. Jesus shows us God does not want us to hate other people and other people's groups, but that the good news and the great joy is for all people. And Jesus shows us 
that is not by some legalistic keeping of each letter of the law, but by the goodness of God overcoming evil in our lives that we will experience salvation. So friends, the good news of Christmas is that Christ is Emmanuel, dwelling with us, present in our lives, guiding us, teaching us how to live. We are thankful for salvation. Without it, we would be nothing. Eternal life would not be an option without Christ dying on the cross, being raised from the dead and ascending into heaven. And there's more to it. Christ did not just come to offer us the get out of hell free card. He came to teach us how to have life and have it abundantly. Even when we mess up, Christ came to show that God still loves us and still forgives us. That God is not some heavenly being sitting on some chair upstairs with a demerit sheet for every time we do something wrong, but that God is actually with us, walking with us, living with us, speaking into our lives. Since Christ is Emmanuel, Christmas is good news, and it's a good story. Not just the fact that we're all together for holiday, that we're with family. I love that. I'm very glad to be with my family. Not just that there's good food, we're gonna eat turkey, we're gonna take naps, we're gonna open presents. But the greatest gift we get is that God dwelt among us and is now with us. And so today, for us in this Christmas season, as we go forward from this place, I hope that we remember, I pray we remember that this is good news, that we no longer have to be in fear of God. We still have reverence for God and we have fear in like the, that we believe that God is sovereign. But that we recognize because Christ taught us that God wants to be with you. That God cares about you. That God is not out to get you. I pray we, we leave that mentality of punishment and judgment in this false sense behind. Yes, God is the judge. And Christ did say in the Gospels that there will be a final judgment where we all hold account. But I believe that, that there's way more to God than that. That God is with us now and always, teaching us daily how to love God more and how to love one another more. Christ is Emmanuel. God is with us. Isn't that kind of hard to believe sometimes? I'm gonna, I'm gonna end here. This is where I'm gonna end. Sometimes it's hard to believe because the whole world is telling us every time we mess up that we should be punished for it. Every time we do something wrong, that, that, you know, that you're this terrible person. You're, and, and that is not who God is. It breaks my heart that whenever I or you or us as a church, when we see somebody else falter, we're quick to point out their flaws as opposed to being quick to show them love. Because you know what God does? You know what Christmas is all about? Jesus showing us that God loves us. You know, as a preacher, they say, you know, we really only have like one or two messages. We just recapitulate it in different ways each week. And this is probably something I say more than anything else. You hear me say all the time, and, and if this is the only thing I preach, I'm okay with it because I just believe it. Christmas is good news, and the good news is that God is with us. God is for us. If you are having a hard time feeling forgiven, know that God does forgive you. If you're having a hard time feeling apart, know that we love you 
and that God is with you. Christmas is not just the season where we recognize that, oh, it's fun and festive. It's where we remember that we are wanted, we are loved, we are sought after by the creator of the world. And that is good news. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are Emmanuel, that you are with us, that you dwell among us, that you love us, that you teach us through Christ this new way of life. Help us to live into that fully. Help us to be the people that you've called us to be. Help us to experience you in a real way. We thank you that Christmas reminds us you are Emmanuel. Christmas reminds us that you are for us. Christmas reminds us that you love us. We give thanks to you now and always. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.